Noble Experiment by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 21, Trapped on the Planet with No Escape. Inside Carter was unscathed. He and Tobian followed them past the green rings as Paris studied the computer. His second-in-command was not at all surprised by what he saw. A type of vortex, very similar to the revered one's cube. Then it is all very dissimilar. Paris, please be more specific. This isn't the most pleasant place. I want to know what's going on here, said Grok as he looked forward. Intensified readings. On a scale 10,000 times the revered one's cube, said Paris as the slope of the tunnel pitched downward. A low vibration filled the air and soon they were running forward. Out of control, they were lifted into the weightless section of smoky red light. What is this? yelled Grok. Actual distortions of time and space, Commander, returned Paris, clutching onto the rifle and the computer. They zoomed through the turbulent area tumbling over and over and finally landing on a grassy hill overlooking a marble building. Grok was the first to rise, with both rifles cocked under his armpits. Where are we, Paris? Incredible. That doesn't answer my question, Paris. Computer shows unbelievable alignments, Commander. Totally dissimilar. Paris, where are we? Demanded Grok. We are no longer in the galaxy, Commander. We are in the Sierrant Galaxy. How can we be in the Sierra Galaxy, scoffed Grok as he looked at the computer. This is impossible. The readings must be altered somehow. You can't tell me that our galaxy is millions of light years back up there in the sky, said Grok as he pointed to the pale green celestial dome. That is where we are, sir, said Paris. I can't change that. You're right, Antovian, out there, he said, reading his computer. Under the sea itself. And passageways, Commander, to the right. A life form reading. Human, said Grok as he heard a chilling scream from below the marble structure. Over there, shouted Antovian as he ran ahead of them. They burst into the open area above. Antovian ran for the staircase on the left, and midway down he was met by a huge, unworldly creature. He fired his rifle, knocking the beast down the stairs. Climbing over him, he entered the room just below as two slithering life forms connected electrodes to Brady's head. Antovian fired the flutons, knocking the creatures against the wall. Rushing over to Brady, he ripped the electrodes from his head. Brady, are you all right? He asked, his voice coming out of the translator on the floor. I'm all right, said Brady, as his eyes caught Grack and Paris. He picked up the translator and crawled to the edge of the table. Saved, but to be killed another day, Grock? We have come to bring you to Earth, Brady, said the commander. Ah, I don't believe you. No, it's true. We will kill the elders. I will have help for you back at the fortress. I see you have your human form back. Right, said Brady as he stood, still stunned. So you're going to kill the elders. Good. I stood out there, and they approached me on the top of a hundred-foot wall of water, five heads in the sky. Projections, Commander, said Paris. I'm not so sure of that, cried Brady. They were damn real to me, talking fluently about your fundamental law and sentencing me to these things in here to die, he said, looking at the fallen beasts. The main objective now is to follow these readings, said Grok. The 
staircase, Commander. Said Paris. It continues below. And Tobian began to think telepathically toward Brady. Brady, only you can hear me. What is it, my friend? Is Grok telling the truth? Yes, he is. You can go back to the fortress. You see, they have a ship that's been programmed for Earth. But I advise you to stay with us. For Earth? Thought Brady, his eyes aglow as Paris spoke to Grok. The staircase leads to a passageway. And that leads to the power readings. Antovian thought again. But the ship is useless, Brady, as long as the elders exist. They control the perimeter. I don't care about the elders, thought Brady. Let us go to the passageway. Ordered Grok as he and Paris ran to the staircase and started down. Antovian, he called from below. Coming, Commander. Brady put his hand on the dwarf's shoulder. You are going back, aren't you? Asked Antovian. Yes, I'm going back, said Brady, frowning. The chances are slim. Chance we'll all have to take. He reached forward and hugged the dwarf tightly. Without looking back, he sprinted from the room. Brady then hurried up the stairs. Where is the Earthman? demanded Grok. I'm inside a white-tiled passageway. Gone back to the vortex, Commander. Very well. Our problem is with the elders of Volrain. Down this way, said Grok as he led them forward into a seemingly never-ending tunnel. The white light became monotonous. Drops of moisture leaked from the tiles, and they could almost feel the ocean hanging over them. Twenty minutes passed, and then the power reading soared. Ahead, a blue tear-shaped room came into view. In the rear was a white door with the same shape. There are five doors behind that door, Commander. Prepare to vaporize, said Grok as the door opened by sliding into the floor. A group of revered ones in flowing blue robes with red sashes stood firmly in their way. We are the revered ones of Ulrain, keepers of the elders. You will leave this room at once. Where are the elders? asked Grok, lifting his rifle. Force is ineffectual against us. These images are not real, Commander, mumbled Paris. I will ask you one more time and then I will open fire, said Grok, as if his own life depended on the Elder's destruction. No, he said without moving. Grok answered with his fluton, but the red energy passed right through them and into the corridor behind. Then I will go through, shouted Grok as he ran forward. The commander was quickly repulsed, thrown across the room and onto the floor. Two of his dwarfs rushed to him and helped him to his feet. Quite effective, Commander, understated Paris. I am well aware of that, Paris. Now destroy them. I don't know if that's possible, Commander. It will require computations, and if it's not a polarity I'm familiar with, providing... Providing what? Providing they don't attack us, Commander. I don't care. Just get on with it, ordered Grok, unfrightened and undaunted. Brady ran up the grassy hill, scrambling to the top. Every second was filled with thoughts of Grok stopping him from returning to the fortress. He frantically waved his arms as he searched for a visible warp in time and space. The space seemed normal, however, and he stood, flustered, with his hands on his hips. At any moment, the elders might reappear in the sky and all would be lost. As he turned, his elbow felt strange, almost weightless. Swinging to his right, he saw the tip of the joint was not visible. Brady had found the vortex. Wasting no time, he felt the dimensions of the void with his fingers and drew a corresponding mark across the grass. But he feared the arrival of the elders. He stepped back and ran swiftly over the grass, leaping at the mark and then disappeared into nothingness. 
as if he were in the hose of a vacuum he was drawn upward to the fortress in the Milky Way galaxy. His face was different, a blurred gray, and he could sense great forces operating around him. He landed on the incline, sliding a few feet on the surface and coming to rest on his belly. Inside, Dorfs were working on the ship. Assisted by Halfren and his guards, Brady learned they had just completed the programming of the ship for Earth. As they walked from the ship, a slight explosion rocked the third ship. Two of the Dorfs rushed over to the other ship as Halfren lingered behind the Earth vessel. What has happened here? asked Brady. Appears to be in the navigation system. Just a minor problem. No, answered the other dwarf. Without this panel, the computers cannot guide the ship. Well, maybe we should... began Halfren. I will not take orders from you, Halfren, scolded the dwarf as he tugged at the burnt-out panel. Begin checking the other system, he shouted, and pulled the panel forward. Very well, said Halfren as he moved to the back of the ship. Someone is coming from the tunnel, called the freeholder tree foam from the rubble. They all stood and rushed toward the ship. Brady emerged from the debris in front of the tunnel doors. The guards backed away, repulsed by his alien human form. Tree foam, the freeholder, although being somewhat hesitant, moved forward and stared at him. Where are the others, Brady? He asked. You are Brady. Brady held up the translator. Yes, tree foam, I am Brady. The others have gone to search for the elders, he said as he thought quickly. They want to start me for Earth on the ship you are preparing. Halfron stood on top of the rubble that separated the two rooms. And you, you sent me to be tortured. I know nothing of your torture, said Halfron. The elders forbid aliens in our vessels. Quiet, Halfron, said one of the dwarfs as he climbed down the rocks and walked over to the human. Brady, have you seen Commander Grok? Yes, the commander told me to board the ship for Earth as soon as possible. And where is Grok? Asked Sheesh as he entered the room. Hello, Sheesh, smiled Brady. Your human form appears as told in some of the stories around the galaxy. Never mind what he looks like, said the other dwarf. The elders forbid travel in our vessel. I am going back to Earth said Brady as he tried to climb through the rubble, followed by the others. He stood at the top and surveyed some damage to the ship. How did you get here and what happened to the fortress? They destroyed my guard. Silence! Ordered one of Grok's dwarfs as he drew his fluton. We have traveled across the broken land after the slaughter. But this, how did you get through? Luck, I guess. Now come on, your ship to Earth is ready. You won't pay dearly for this, cried Halfren. I don't think so. I have no skill to navigate this ship, said Brady. You don't need any skill, Brady. You will merely be a passenger. The computers will guide the ship. They will instruct you if they need you to do anything. Sounds easy enough, but how long will the journey take? This vessel has high speed capacity. The journey will take you less than three weeks. Brady, always aware of the Elder's power and the fact that Grok would storm through the vortex at any minute, knew that he must be expeditious. He put his hand on Laren's shoulder. Thank you for your assistance, Laren. Good luck, Bill Brady. The Renegade was just coming down the rubble, and Brady walked over to him with his hand outstretched. Goodbye, Sheesh. I hope we will meet again someday. You will be successful, Brady, but only if you are cunning. 
not lose that ability. The truth is the truth, but the truth can kill you if you're not careful. I understand your words, my friend. Thank you. We will meet again, I'm sure. Good luck, Brady. Brady turned out of the watchful eye of Halfron and stepped through the hatchway with Laren. He noticed one compact chair with a smooth black leather-like cover. In front was a control panel with blinking colored lights and a window span that sloped downward and revealed the mountains outside. Begin sequence, five minutes. Instructed Laren to those outside. Received. Brady heard the computer speak through his translator. Laren turned to Brady. It's just you and the computer now for three of your weeks said Laren. He again put his hand on Brady's shoulder. Goodbye, Laren. The Doth nodded silently and exited the vessel. They closed the hatch and the air seemed tight. Brady settled into the chair and a restraining field encompassed his body. Above the hatch, a strange click sounded just for a second. When you have been seated, please press the field density button. It is the red and blue button next to the arm of the chair. It will enable you to be safely strapped inside to be restrained during the flight. Brady went forward toward the massive control panel and the observation viewer. He sat down in the smooth seat and depressed the blue and red button. Instantly he could feel the unusual sensation of being enveloped by the restraining field. It was as if an invisible layer of foam had been placed around him. The propulsion units are fully charged. Sure they are, said Brady, excited that he was going back to Earth. The ship just sat in place for a few seconds and then slowly it began to hum forward. Wide stone doors far down the hallway opened and the rough mountain terrain and the stars beyond beckoned him home. The ship moved down the corridor. It was gaining speed now, incredible speed, shooting through the opening and escaping the fortress. It lifted into the air high above the mountainous terrain. In awe, Brady saw the fortress moving away from him on the screen. The dark, dead landscape faded into hazy clouds as it zoomed skyward toward the stars. It all seemed like a dream, not just the fact that he was leaving Mergendorf, but the entire adventure itself. He estimated it had been just over 60 days, yet it seemed like an eternity. Not only did he have to pass through the formidable perimeter defenses, he had to put complete trust in the computer to bring him across the dark reaches and back to Earth. Across those reaches was the life he had left behind. What would he say when he returned to his planet? Would he run to the national leaders and warn them of some vast war of undoing 30 years in the future? With weapons unheard of? Or should he go to Coffee and talk to him? That might be his only logical alternative. Coffee had the credibility and he did see what happened at Peace Mountain. He nodded his head. Coffee would be his first stop. And Lorna. He had to see Lorna, if she had recovered from her wound. When this whole mess is over, he would have to rest her from her abusive parents. Only then could she lead a full and productive life. Brady broke his deep thoughts as the ship rose up toward the stars. The aqua edge of the planet flashed into view, along with both suns on the horizons. As the ship climbed higher into the Dorfian atmosphere, the entire region of the planet began to take shape. The vast Eyal plain was visible now. As he moved toward outer space, continents, oceans, and the curvature of the planet were distinct, 
as the vessel's velocity increased, escaping the gravity forces of the planet Mergendar. You may release the field now by depressing the button, said the computer. Brady pushed the button. The field lifted and he leaned forward to the observation windows. Mergendorf, mostly bright aqua from the ocean reflections, was covered at both poles by clouds and stretches of gray continents in between. And around him, the Janvian suns burned crisply in the vacuum of space. He sat back in the chair as the computer screen switched to a forward view, and he thought of his next immediate obstacle, the defense perimeter. Back through the vortex in the Sergiant galaxy, Paris had shorted out the projections. Other problems, however, had arisen. The doorway and back of the projections led to a dead-end corridor, and the material had a compressed carbon consistency. Brock ordered immediate fluton fire, but the substance was very wide and very thick. Each weapon was only able to burrow a short distance, then the energy supply became drained. I want the elders killed on sight, Grok told him. Even if the flutons are useless, we'll use our bare hands if we have to. Sir, said Paris, there is still considerable substance left in the wall. Power readings from the inside are consistent. But the fluton power reading is only at 30%, and it is, Commander, our last weapon. Keep firing, yelled Grok. A most respectable defense, said Paris, as Antobian's fluton continued to eat away at the wall. A simple villager would have virtually no chance to get through this myriad of fields, guards, and terrain. The vortex and now this. We are not through the substance yet, said Grok as Antovian stopped firing, and green light came into the tunnel. We are through, sir, said Antovian. Fluton output. 26%, Commander. Very well, we're going in. Careful, sir, the walls are still very hot, cautioned Antovian. Grok hunched over and led them through the opening to the green light. In front of them as he emerged was a vast glass dome that was embedded within a network of tiny vessels. At a lower level, the tiny vessel spread out at a wide distance and was perhaps the essence of the elders. Grok stood motionless, looking forward at what appeared to be five convoluted mounds with extensive diameters. It looks alive. Indeed it is, Commander. We are viewing living tissue. To be more specific, living brains. Brains? Brains that can stretch that distance? That's impossible. No, Commander. They are living brains, fed by conduits from below, and protected by the casing of the vessels, like veins and arteries. Enormous power. I believe what Mr. Brady saw over the ocean was a physical extension of these brains. Your adjutant is correct, Commander Grok, said the voice of one of the elders, echoing around the rim of the casing. You have come a long distance, but your journey is over. You will all be destroyed. It is the law of all rain. Commander, whispered Paris as he showed the computer readings to Grok. Highly unlikely, my computer shows no weaponry at all at this level. A bluff? Unless they possess power that does not register with the computer. You have acted in an excessive manner, capturing the Earthman and bringing him to the planet. The sentence may not be explained and will commence shortly. Death by torture. You have no power out here, cried Grok, grasping his fluton. You may be powerful out there, but... 
Grok stopped speaking as the beginnings of a blue-streaked energy field appeared above the dome. He fired bluntly at the glass enclosure, but the weapon was drained. He kept the trigger depressed as the field began to sift downward. Paris, Antovian, back in the tunnel, he ordered as he kept firing. No, we will die with you, Commander, stated Antovian. Get back! You can take action if this doesn't work. Even at its drained level, the Fluton's red light finally penetrated the casing. The potent blue field was sucked into it, cracking the casing in several sections. The fissures grew wider and split the dome, and this field, created by the elders for their own defense, began to saturate the inner area. It swarmed downward onto the living brains. Like scalding water on ice, the field scoured the tissue away. A thick green liquid began to ooze from the remaining matter, and in the distance, an intense rumbling could be heard. Let's get out of here now, advised Grark. A wise move, Commander. Our safety is in jeopardy, said Paris as they ran back through the tunnel. They sprinted through the entire distance back under the ocean. The rumbling intensified like one massive quake, and water began to gush from the white tiles in tremendous torrents. As they reached the lower room and hopped over the bodies of the beasts, Portions of the inner tunnel gave way. Huge surges of water pushed forward, and the marble structure shook under the pressure. They ran out the doorway and onto the grassy hill just as everything broke loose. The roof of the structure slid, and the marble pillars loosened, finally crumbling to the ground. The force of the incoming water was too great and burst through, lifting debris into the air. The remaining part of the structure shook with the landscape and sank from view. Seawater flowed freely now and enveloped the lower land around the grassy hill. Commander, I have no readings on the vortex, said Paris. No readings? asked the panicky Grok. No readings. The atmosphere is normal. Are you telling me we're trapped here on this planet in another galaxy which is only visible through our scanners? Unless they can reconstruct the power at the fortress or unless we can do the same. Is that possible? Highly unlikely, Commander. And then, only with the greatest of luck. Join us next week as a noble experiment by Robert P. Fitton continues. This has been a production of Fitton Theater of the Words.